Blog Talk Radio. And now... Coming to you live from the Eastern Radio Show studio in St. Augustine, Ponte Vedra, Jacksonville, Florida, and elsewhere, as you'll hear, our hosts from all around the U.S. And uh, we want to tell you at the end of the show that we've had listeners from around the world. So that's why we're calling it an international radio show now. Thanks for listening to Eastern Airlines Talk Radio. My name is Neil Holland, the producer of the show, and we have a great show for you tonight. And to all the listeners, again, around the world, thank you for listening in, and welcome to our show. Join us as we celebrate the life of Eastern Airlines every Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Hello, Eastern family and friends. As our producer said, it's great having you with us. My name is Chuck Albright, and I'm coming to you live from the beautiful villages in Central Florida area, where the weather at this particular time is 81 degrees. We're gonna cool off a little later. We're supposed to have some thunderstorms. Welcome, and thank you for listening and calling the show. You've truly made us the radio voice of Eastern Airlines. In fact, we can now say We've become Eastern Airlines International Radio Show with over 50 countries listening in. We'd love to hear your comments and share your memories with the radio, radio listeners from around the world during the broadcast. If you haven't called a show before, all you need to do is call 213-816-1611 and just say hello and talk to us. You'll be on the air live every Monday evening. We can identify many countries from around the world who listen in with our blog talk radio application. Isn't it great that we can keep up with the Eastern legacy going out not only to the Eastern family, but to the listeners from many different countries around the world. That's what we try to do every week on the Eastern radio show. Won't you join us by adding your voice to these broadcasts? Our thanks also to those who choose to listen by computer using the radio icon on our homepage at www.easternradioshow.com or perhaps signing in on the site of our provider, Blog Talk Radio, at www.blogtalkradio.com 
forward slash Captain Eddie. To remember to abbreviate the word Captain to C-A-P-T. Should you wish to talk during our live broadcast, feel free to use our call-in number, 213-816-1611 at 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Let me repeat that number so you can write it down for your Monday night visits. 213-816-1611. By the way, tell your friends about us so they can be in on the nice Eastern show too. Don't forget, you can listen to any of our 421 Monday night broadcasts and 75 plus Thursday broadcasts by simply going to blogtalkradio.com forward slash Captain Eddie. That's Captain C-A-P-T-E-D-D-I-E. And scrolling through the archives of the broadcast. Each episode is briefly described. We're over 500 episodes now with the Eastern Files and the Eastern Old Time Radio Series. Holy blue Sunoco, as Jim Hart would like to say. And Jim, hurry, get well. Come take over your announcing job. We miss you. Our lines are always open for calls, and if you choose not to participate and talk live with our hosts, we ask you to please mute your phone, as our producer does not have the capability of filtering out background noises. I see that we're number one on takeoff, so, Captain, let's get flight 422 in the air. Tower Blur is 650 volt. Spotlights a diver at Acapulco. Referees a children's game at the pyramids of Teotihuacan. The sun warms a beautiful mermaid in Puerto Rico and covers the vacation paradise of Miami. Every year, more people choose this one for the sun because Eastern service is as warm as the destination. You know, our show tonight, the last heartbeats of an American legacy airline, the final days of Eastern Airlines, was selected... uh, uh, and to be presented in a three-part series, we thought everyone really would like uh, should know about the accounting uh, almost day by day, month by month, and year by year of the last of Eastern's role in commercial aviation. So we've taken a series of logs that were done by. Mr. Art Perchgott of Eastern Airlines years ago. He started with back in the 20s. And uh, he titled the last part of 
his recording as the continuing saga of Eastern Continental Texas Air from February 24th, 1986 to July 23rd, 1991. And so our presentation tonight is from these files by Arch Furchgott, the REPA historian, and they have been edited by yours truly, Neil Holland, for this presentation. Jim, would you start this first series? Oh, Jim Holden. Okay, Neil. Be glad to. Trying to keep up with each meaningful occurrence in the history of airlines, once Texas Air got control, would require books thicker than all the old repartee magazines. Anyway, here are just a few of the happenings since February 24th, 1986, that may or may not be pertinent. Obviously, many more important things did happen, and more will take place as time marches on. Hopefully, there will be a happy ending. Thus, we present an accounting of the last heartbeats of an American legacy, legacy airline. This is by Art Fuchscott, as Neil said, Repa historian, edited by the Repar, I mean the Real Radio Show producer, with comments from my host. A place to start would be the wee hours of February 24th, 1986, when the Eastern Board of Directors agrees to a $676 million buyout by Texas Air. Yes, the motion has started with a rapid heartbeat from Eastern employees. Not too long after the buyout, July 1st, 1986, Lorenzo advises Eastern System 1's reservation system will be sold to Texas Air. And in the same year, Eastern is to lay off 1,500 employees. This was to be September the 2nd, 1986, into October 1986. Changes were being made at the corporate level now that Lorenzo had control. Bill Bates is named president and CEO of Eastern, and Frank Lorenzo named as chairman. There is no doubt about what was in store with these changes. George? Now, now Jim, uh, as we go into the next year of 1987, Eastern in February leased to Continental six A300B4 aircraft, for four years with an option to buy or rent for $225,000 per month per aircraft. And this is back to itself. Now, Eastern start to take the airline, they started to take the Eastern airline apart. So March 1987, Continental purchases 11 gates at Newark from Eastern for $11 million with a 10% promissory note and traded a leasehold on five gates at Newark for a leasehold on five other gates at Newark's Hell by Eastern. By this time, the employees are wondering when someone will step in and stop this madness. Someone in the person of Transportation Secretary James Burnley announces an extensive inspection of Eastern and Continental Airlines. This was April 18, 1987. Not exactly the kind of help Eastern needed. Hey, why not create a subsidiary of Continental so that it can lease back to Eastern five DC-9-51 aircraft for a period of one year from the delivery date? It will only change a, uh, charge a monthly rental rate of $102,000 per aircraft. 
and before the year end, Eastern lays off 3,500 dedicated employees. This was November 11, 1987. Eastern lays off 3,500 employees. Mike? A few months into 1988, May 7, 1988 to be exact, Eastern sues ALPA and IAM for $1.5 million, alleging racketeering, fraud, and extortion. Can you believe this? Of course we can. Why not create a little disharmony in the ranks of labor so that by June 16, 1988, Lorenzo and Blake Bakes can meet with union officials in an effort to smooth labor relations, which they have created? Another great idea was to sell one of the most imaginative profitable business plans ever introduced into air travel, which was the Eastern Airlines Air Shuttle. It wasn't hard to find a buyer that would put his signature on the tail of these beautiful 727s. Donald Trump pays $365 million for the shuttle to be renamed the Trump Shuttle, of course, on the date October 19, 1988. Eastern in February 1989 continues to sell gates and facilities at Houston International to Continental for $4.5 million. It's for 1988, pegged at $386,871,000. A storm was brewing. The heart beats faster. On March 4, 1989, at one minute after 12 a.m., the machinists walk out on strike, followed by the pilots and flight attendants crippling the airline. Chuck? March 9, 1989, Eastern Files for Bankruptcy, Chapter 11, in New York Court. Judge Bird Lifted appoints Dave Shapiro as court examiner. Exit Lorenzo, enter the court. The sound of the cavalry are heard over off in the distance. As employees learn March 6, 1989, that Texas Air and Peter Udenoff Group reached a tentative agreement on the sale of Eastern. But just as quickly, the views are no longer heard as on April the 11th, Eastern collapses. The court now decides that Eastern is no longer for sale and states it will sell parts of the airline and rebuild the rest as a smaller airline. October, sorry, um, April 25, 1989, Eastern, under the direction of Dave Shapiro, a plan to get back on track, including the sale of $1.8 billion in assets to emerge from Chapter 11 by September the 1st. Can this be true? Emerge from bankruptcy? The company continues to bleed so that by May 2, 1989, Eastern announces a loss of $225.2 million for the first quarter of 1989. The first quarter, hmm, emerging from bankruptcy gets a little more difficult. However, maybe a little infusion of Trump money will help. On May 24, 1989, the bankruptcy court approved the sale of the shuttle to Donald Trump, then Eastern is closed on May 25th. Selling to Midway Airlines, 13 Philadelphia Gates, 16 DC-9s, and other assets will put $206.5 million back into the transfusion 
to keep Eastern alive a little longer. But July 31st, 1989, Eastern increases its schedule from 80 to 226 flights a day. Don? I'm with you live. Wait a minute. Don, uh, something happened to his mic. Mid-July of 1989, Eastern announces a loss of $217 million on its operations during the second quarter, but reports loss of only $129 million due to asset sales and other one-time items of $108 million. It's amazing how accounting principles work. Don, you with us? Don, are you picking up? No, you still have. Well, let me continue up. on for Don here. The following month, August 6, uh, 1989, uh, the Eastern pilots meet to discuss union leadership's suggestion that they return to work. The suggestion is overwhelmingly rejected. But some pilots crossed the picket lines and returned to work. Lots of friendships were lost during the period of confusion for some. As a result, on August 11th, Eastern advises that what they will not need any more pilots for their operating plan. And in the following month, Eastern is operating 390 daily flights down from the pre-strike of 1,040. It announces plans to build up to 800 by December and October. Okay, continue on, Don. In October 1989, the company is still transferring gates at O'Hara and Cleveland to United Airlines in return for trade of gates at Cleveland for Continental. No matter how many times I go over this transaction, I still can't make any sense of it. Now, here's one that may have cost an election. On November 22, 1989, pilots end their participation in strike and the flight attendants follow suit. The action occurs after President George Herbert Walker Bush votes the proposal bill, uh, vetoes the uh, proposed bill calling for congressional investigation of Texas Air and Eastern. To summarize what happened in 1989, we can see by the numbers the heart of the airline is getting weaker and weaker. December 31, 1989, showed gains from disposing of assets for the year of 1989 was $559.4 million. But look at the price paid by once the largest carrier in the free world, Eastern. The shuttle sold 21 Boeing 72100s, the sale of 14 DC 931s, 10 Boeing 727100s, 14 Boeing 727200s, 1 Boeing 757, and 2 A300s, plus gates and slots uh, to east, it, to the lease to Pan Am of 14 Boeing 727-200s. The company is now on life support. Could it get any worse? 
during the first quarter of 1990, Eastern filed several plans for reorganization with the bankruptcy court, starting out by immediately paying creditors 50 cents on the dollar, then getting to a low of 10 cents on the dollar before raising back to 25 cents. Most plans include funds to be received from the sale of the Latin American routes and other assets to American Airlines. The court did approve the sale, but final approval is needed from the U.S. government as well as the governments of the Central and South American countries involved. This should take only a few days. We're being fictitious here, folks. Meanwhile, back at the Airline Pilots Association, Alpha was a winner in a suit concerning back pay for pilots, which in effect wrecked any of the plans made by the court for Eastern. Net loss for 1989 was announced at $852.3 million. For the first quarter of 1990, the losses continued above $1 million per day. Court examiner David Shapiro in a special report stated that the Texas Air did stated that Texas Air did take advantage of Eastern on certain asset sales and should make reparations. So the court finally gets it. It's called cooperative rape. Of course, Texas Air denied the charges, but did agree to make a substantial payment. Asset sales and leases the first quarter of 1990 included the sale of five A300s to an unrelated party, which were the then leased to Continental. Proceeds to Eastern, about $132.5 million. Also sold and leased back six A300 aircraft for approximately $168 million. Sold to a third party, one L-1011 for $13.5 million, two DC-931s for $13 million, two Boeing 757s for $74 million. Eastern agreed in principle to assign leasehold interest in two DC-10-30s to Continental and to sell DC-10-30 spare parts inventory for about $11 million. Well, he's back. April 18, 1990, old Frank Lorenzo personally presented a new record organization plan for the creditors' committee. It was rejected, and the bankruptcy court appoint Martin Chagru as trustee and removes control of the airline from Texas Air. April 21, 1990, Martin Chagru takes over control of Eastern at the Miami base headquarters. Bill Bates who had been present since October 1986, resigned. Chagru confirms that Tom Matthews, who was senior VP of Human Resources, is also leaving, and that he will be replaced by Al Gibson. So now we got a new team that must be a new plan. On April 26, 1990, the Department of Transportation approved the sale of Eastern Latin American routes and Continentals, Miami, London route, both to American Airlines. The DOT, Department of Transportation, did not approve the sale of the Miami, Tampa, Toronto. Eastern Airlines was to get $335 million, and Continental, Texas Air, you know, would get $109 million. President George Herbert Walker Bush still has to approve the sale. May 1st through the 9th, 1990, Mr. Chagru meets separately with the IAM, ALPA, Flight Attendants Union, Contract and Uncontracted Employees, and then the EARA Executive Committee. 
From all reports, he made an excellent impression to all groups. As trustee, he had the backings of the court and the creditors' committee and had final approval on all operating matters. Although Texas Air still is on Eastern, it does not have a voice in the operation. May 21st of 1990, Eastern announces plans to start three daily nonstop flights from Atlanta to Houston's Hobby Airport and return effective July 5th. 99 passenger DC-9s will be used for this route. Effective July 8th, there will be three weekly flights from Atlanta to Cancun and return using 149-passenger Boeing 727s. By midsummer, the flights out of Atlanta will be increased to 289 daily flights. Well, that's the plan. The next day, May 22, 1990, Eastern and American announced details of the Central and South America route sale. It will be accomplished in four stages. The first stage to take place on June 30th for the routes to Brazil, Argentina, Chile, Guatemala, and Costa Rica. The second includes Peru, Panama, Bolivia, and Paraguay, effective July 20th. The third stage on July 31st covers Colombia and Ecuador. The final stage on August 14th includes Belize, Honduras, El Salvador, and Venezuela. The new total for the sale is $310 million with the bulk to be paid in July and the balance in August. This is less than the original sum mentioned but was reduced by the U.S. Department of Transportation because of anticipated hearings. Oh, happy days are here again. May 23, 1990, Eastern announced plans to recall 85 pilots to fly some of its new routes. Possible cities to be included are Dallas, Roanoke, and Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, plus several southeastern cities. Also on May 23, the Creditors Committee met in Miami with Mr. Chagru to be brought up to date on happenings since a trustee was appointed. However, five days later, Eastern announced a layoff to be made in July of 150 persons, of which about half are part-time, when the Central and South American routes are transferred to American Airlines. May 31, 1990, after three days of unsuccessful negotiation between Eastern and ALPA, the meetings were recessed. Mike? Yes, and uh, lots going on in the month of June. Here are a few of them. On June 1, 1990, Mr. Chagru meets with the New York grand, uh, grand jury regarding possible indictment of VPs and Ed Upton about falsification of maintenance records in 1989. June 5, 1990, Texas Air name legally changed to Continental Airlines Holdings, Inc., and Lorenzo advised he had taken a pay cut 
1989 to $698,028, down from $999,225 in 1988. Poor guy. Amazing. What a what a majority what a majority ownership can do for this these executives. This is barely a, a living wage. Yeah, right. June 6, 1989, EPA, how very original, EPA, a new union representing 93% of the active Eastern Pilots Eastern Pilots Association, asked to be union to be the union representing the pilots rather than ALPA. Mr. Chagru refers to the question uh, refers the question to national mediate to the Ma- national mediation board as to which union to go- negotiate with the bankruptcy court forbids any union act- action by either union until representation is cleared up Chagru states that labor peace is vital to the survival of eastern and on june 8 1990 eastern recalls 90 alpha pilots who incidentally were off work when the strike started on March 4, 1989, but they were to meet the needs and expansion for plans for the summer. A disagreement by ALPA, as 53 of the of the pilots of those who signed up for work had signed up previously in August, which were uh, while the ALPA was still on strike. Among the pilots called back to Eastern, Captain Skip Copeland, chairman of Eastern's MEC committee. Uh, he was well, one that was called back. Yes, okay. So June 14, 1990, Eastern trustee Martin Chagru unveiled a series of new and heavily publicized television ads to be released starting in June 17th. The four ads concluded by asking customers to give Eastern 100 days to prove itself. Chagru himself was involved in these ads. I wonder if he got the idea from the colonel, and we know who he is, to star in the company's uh, media advertising. And on June 17, 1990, Eastern announced that Southern, the Southern Division of Bar Harbor Commuter Airlines operating in Southern Florida had been purchased. It was renamed Eastern Express. Chuck? Continuing items in the month of June, on the 20th, Eastern announced that the expansion plans for September the 6th 1990 included 312 daily flights out of Atlanta, with new non-stops to Dallas, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and Roanoke, Virginia. June 20th, 1990, American Airlines announces some disagreements on the previously agreed price for the JFK hangar and the San Juan terminal, both items being included in the Central and South American route sale. Why not? You're negotiating with an airline who's now on the ropes. Judge Lifflis advised the carriers to proceed with the agreement upon items and litigate further on the two other items in question. June 27, 1990, at a management club. Club, what is this called a club now? It's a meeting. Mr. Screw stated that all the Eastern L-1011s and the two DC-10s would be up for sale after American took over the Latin American roots. And finally, the dull month at Eastern comes to a conclusion with this June 29, 1990, Eastern receives $120 million from American Airlines as first payment on the sale of the Latin American routes. Payment covers routes between U.S. and Brazil, Argentina, Chile, 
Guatemala, and Costa Rica. American starts these routes on July 1st. The balance of the $310 million will be paid in July and August as the remaining routes are transferred. We can only hold our breath on this happening. Don? Well, beginning the month of July 1990, the media reported that Northwest Airlines had discussions with Eastern over possible buyout of the airline or parts of it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Martin Segrew told reporters that Northwest Airlines had shown interest in the company's gates at Atlanta, but was not interested in selling any part of Eastern, but only the entire airline. The IAM representative stated that Northwest Airlines had contacted them for a meeting relative to problems that might be encountered if they took over Eastern. July 9, 1990, talks between Eastern and ALPA broke off after ALPA rejected the latest Eastern proposed agreement. A 30-day cooling-off period will begin Tuesday after the 30-day uh, the pilots could legally vote to strike. I thought they were already on strike. July 12, 1990, the U.S. government has changed several Eastern maintenance supervisor. They charged them with criminal violations for falsifying maintenance and safety records prior to the strike at LaGuardia, JFK, and Atlanta. Eastern's number two executive, Joe Leonard, is not expected to be named. July 13, 1990, trustee Martin Chagrew outlined Eastern business plan to the Unsecured Creditors Committee in New York. Losses for 1990 are now estimated at about $330 million, compared to the $852.3 million lost in 1989. New labor contracts are expected to be in place by 1991. Mr. Chagru said he was impressed with Northwest Airlines' acquisition plan. He has met with several times with Northwest Airlines chairman, an important statistic revised that Eastern's load factor for June was 61.1%, which is below break-even point. July 18, 1990, now plans to use two L-1011s in the schedule this fall. Previously, all 1011s were to be sold after the Latin American routes were completely taken over in August. Another lawsuit is entered, July 19, 1990. Alpha files suit against Eastern, charging that the airline had violated labor laws by seeking to bypass the union. The suit claimed that Eastern locked out experienced available pilots in order to employ new hire trainees, established and funded an in-house pilot union, and bargained with no intent of reaching an agreement. July 25th. 1990. Eastern Airlines was indicated by uh, a federal grand jury in New York on charges that its managers routinely intimidated employees into falsifying aircraft maintenance records. Specifically, the charges covered maintenance at JFK, LaGuardia, and Atlanta from July 1985 through October 1989. 
named in the indictment were former VP Maintenance and Engineering, who resigned in February 1990, and nine maintenance supervisors. Trustee Martin Chagru rejected a settlement with grand jury attorney Andrew Maloney because he would have been forced to plead guilty to conspiracy charges, which Chagru said were not true. July 25, 1990. It was revealed that Alfred Chikchi, chairman of Northwest Airlines, met on July 20th with Eastern's unsecured creditors. Essentially, he wants to take over Eastern, then sell off all the parts he doesn't want. He would keep 80 of Eastern's newest aircraft and sell the balance. He would retain half of the gates in Atlanta, six at LaGuardia, and five at Washington, as well as a landing slots at LaGuardia and uh, Washington. He would retain the maintenance bases at Atlanta and Miami. Chikchi indicated that he had no interest in Eastern's pension liability. To date, Eastern has not received a firm offer from Northwest Airlines. However, trustee Martin Chagru has stated that he is only interested in offers for the complete airline and its employees. Jim. Okay, Alpha wins one, yeah. We're now into August when we hear the good news on August the 2nd, 1990, that Alpha won a major court victory when a Miami federal judge ruled that pilots who attempted to return to Eastern after Alpha called off their sympathy strike last November have the right to replace newly hired pilot trainees. Eastern said it would file an appeal. Estimates of the number of pilots involved range from 180 to 400. Ironically, this ruling came on the same day as a strike vote by the Union pilots. A cooling off period would end at midnight, August 10th, at which time the pilots will be free to strike. Now, along comes the war, real war. What can this mean to Eastern? On August the 2nd, 1990, Iraq invaded Kuwait. Now, this will probably have a tremendous effect on gasoline and jet fuel prices. August the 3rd, next day, 1990, it was reported in the Miami Herald that Frank Lorenzo is interested in reacquiring some assets of Eastern, certain parts of Eastern, such as terminal gates, landing slots, and certain aircrafts, which would be useful to Continental. This man will not go quietly. August the 6th, 1990, the Eastern Maintenance Supervisors indicted in the New York Federal Court for conspiracy and falsifying maintenance records. Well, that bunch, they proved guilt, not guilty, and the hearings will resume on August the 13th. Things are buzzing at Texas Air, Continental Holdings, or whatever they are called. August 9th, 1990, Frank Lorenzo resigned as chairman of Continental Holdings but will remain as a board director until April 1991. He is selling most of his holdings to SAS. I believe that's Scandinavian Air Service, our system, yes. for yes, which he is. will receive $17 million in cash and another $12.7 million in future consideration, including severance pay. Jan Carlson, SAS president and CEO, will become chairman of Continental Airlines and SAS will spend about fifty two million to increase its interest to approximately sixteen point eight percent. 
Hollis Harris, who was president of Delta, has resigned from that position and will become chairman of Continental Holdings. The Eastern MEC called off the strike set for August 11th, pending further negotiations with Eastern and court rulings on the number of pilots who are eligible to return to work with Eastern. Trustee Marty uh, Chagru on the 13th of August urged the bankruptcy court judge to abrogate the airline's contract with Alpha. He stated that for Eastern to remain viable, it needs wage concessions of $30 million between now and the end of the year and 60, $66 million in 1991. August 14, 1990, Eastern announced a loss of $35.6 million for the second quarter of 1990. This was after a gain of 11, oh, excuse me, 114.8 million for sale of its assets. Total revenue for the quarter was 545 million. For the first six months of 1990, total revenues were 1.1 billion, with a net loss of 172 million. Mike. Yes, and then again on August 14, 1990, the U.S. Bankruptcy Court judge abrogated the contract between Eastern and its pilots union, ALPA. The ruling gives Eastern the right to cut contract expenses by $30 million in 1990 to $66 million in 1991. August 17, 1990, Eastern announced that they have operated three DC-10 MAC charters to Saudi Arabia in connection with the Middle East-Iraqi confrontation and have set up a military charter operation. Once again, the name of Eastern goes off to war. August 18, 1990, Eastern tentatively agreed on August 17th to start uh, retraining 50 union pilots in September, following a federal judge's recent decision that returning strikers have the right to replace pilot trainees. The judges decide judges to decide whether or not ALPA will have to post 1.7 million bond while Eastern appeals this decision. In another court case, the National Mediation Board dismissed a case filed by three other unions contending that Eastern and Continental Airlines are a single carrier for the purposes of union representation. August 21, 1990, ALPA resigned its representative from the creditors' committee. Statistics announced that the Dade County Aviation Department showed that the month of July of 1990 that Eastern dropped from number one in passenger and departures to number three in passengers and number four in departures. This occurred following American Airlines takeover and Latin uh, takeover of the Latin American routes. In July, Eastern carried 373,340 passengers on 50 departures. Pan American was number one, and American was number two. August 27, 1990, Eastern seeks authority from the bankruptcy court to put funds aside to pay top executive top executives one year's salary to remain with Eastern until the company is sold or reorganized. The trustees stated that 96 out of 190 executives have left the company since March of 1989, and an incentive is needed to retain the essential executives. 
All the non-union personnel would receive severance pay based on their longevity. The entire program was an estimate with a, had an estimated cost of twenty-four point two million. Neil. Well, we've taken you on a journey of what we title the last heartbeats of an American legacy airlines, the final days of Eastern Airlines. There's more to this story, one that many college students will do their thesis for a higher degree. Now, we'll present part two next Monday, July 22nd, at 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, when we learn that a $710 million settlement will assure pensions of 51,000 present and former workers of Eastern. The PBGC, or the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation, will assume management of Eastern's pension plans when they are terminated in October of 1990. Continental Airline Holdings immediately put up $80.5 million and Eastern agreed to pay $30 million out of its bankruptcy account, $8 million in October, and the rest by January 15th. 1991. Continental has agreed to pay up to $600 million of the $710 million settlement, of which it will have paid $378 million by the mid-1990s by making monthly payments of 4 to $5 million for 12 years in 1991. And effective October 90, Eastern will terminate all future retirement benefits. This means that retirement benefits will not be funded beyond September 1990, and they will receive only benefits earned prior to that time. This will apply to active employees and early retirees who received a supplement from Eastern prior to receiving Social Security. Will this actually happen? Well, you'll need to tune in next Monday. July 22nd at 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Well, that's the end of part one, and we probably will conclude uh, this uh, history lesson, as I mentioned earlier in the program, written by, for the main part, Art Birchcott, the historian for the Retired Eastern Pilots Association and the Eastern Airlines Retiree Association. Very interesting information, this first part, but it really gets interesting, part two and part three. So you'll want to tune in and listen for more of this. Thanks so much to our host for doing this. Now, let's open it up for discussion because I think there are some corrections to this. We made no corrections to Art's Art's, uh, recording of this history. And... um, uh, but uh, there are some uh, informations that uh, I think, Jim, you uh, have, and also George Jen shares in what we've done tonight. Jim, how about you first? Yeah, well, it's not a correction. It's just an amplification on what happened uh, in the summer of, I guess it was 1988, I guess. You know, things were in a turmoil at Eastern, and we were not getting maintenance done on our airplanes. They were flying around with uh, uh, on minimum equipment, which is 
something that the people don't know that you can have something not working and they put it on a minimum equipment list with a promise to get it fixed by blank, 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 at blank, blank, blank. Well, it turned out that all these blanks were just being extended to more blanks. And what happened, uh, if I can tell this little quick story, that Captain Collins Bomar brought an airplane in to Atlanta from, I believe, uh, Albuquerque. And he came, he brought the plane in, even though it had a real bad problem with the pressurization and the heating and air conditioning system, because maintenance, uh, the system control down in Miami had guaranteed him that if he took it to Atlanta, that they would ground the airplane, take the airplane, and put it in the shop and get this problem fixed, which had been going on for two or three days. Well, I was flying that airplane out to Providence, Rhode Island. And college came in, and I met the airplane at the gate, and he said, Jim, I apologize for bringing you this airplane, but they promised that they're going to fix it. And it was uh, a stretch 727, I think. It had 137 people who wanted to go to Providence. And now, all of a sudden, they're saying to me, well, we, if we take this airplane out of service, we don't have any way to get these 137 passengers to Providence tonight. It was tonight time. And uh, they promised me that if I flew it on to Providence, that uh, it would be guaranteed that they would send a team down from Boston and they were going to fix this airplane and find out what was wrong with it. And I said, okay, now you're telling me they're going to do that. Yes, Captain, we're going to do that. You can count on it. It's written in the Bible, stamped and everything. So I flew the airplane to Providence, and the next morning I came back out to fly a trip out, and I said, what, did they get that airplane fixed? They said, no, we left at 5 o'clock. Nobody did anything. Well, boy, that just burned my behind I'm not kidding. It burned me bad. And I wrote a very long report on what happened to Collins, what happened to me, and what they did. And this airplane flying around with some bad problems with the pressurization, air conditioning. They were burning the pilot, the passengers up with heat. Yeah, they couldn't control the heat on the thing. But the people got to where they wanted to go. And I guess they said, we'll never fly in Eastern again after that. But anyhow, now we leap forward to 1994, and I'm flying for American Air, 727 captain, and I get a call from some lawyers up in New York, and they were representing, the, they were prosecuting these, you heard it mentioned earlier, these uh, maintenance supervisors and whatever that were charged with falsifying records and they called me up and said we you ought to report way back in 1988 would you be willing to come up here to the federal court in new york and testify in court about what you were told in your report and you show up and i said i'd be glad to well i went to the chief pilot at ata and i told him i said listen look here i've got they want me to come up there and testify and he said well by god go get them and so he said, you take all the time off you want. We'll pay you for your trips and everything else. He was ex-Brenner or maybe ex-Continental, I don't remember. But anyhow, Mike told me, he said, you go up there and burn their butts. And so I did. I came back home and that night, and I'm getting ready to fly to New York, and I get a call from the lawyers. And they said, the judge has thrown out the case against all these supervisors up there in New York and the mechanics because they – did not have 
uh, what's the word? I'm sure there's a legal word for it, that things had gone on too long. And the judge just said, well, we're just going to throw the whole thing out. And they were set free, you know, I mean, no, no longer indictment or anything else. And the lawyers were just burned because the reason they hadn't gone to trial because the defense lawyers kept getting continuances, continuances, continuances. And by the time they were ready to do it, they said they haven't had a, you know, it's been, they didn't get a quick trial. And it was their idea to keep the contingency and just do it out. And so I didn't go to New York. And that was the end of that. But I'll tell you one thing. It left me with a bitter taste in my mouth on the judicial system and what was done to Eastern and these guys and what they did up there. They just let us lie to us. I mean, Mike, you may know some existence of some things like that, too, since you were in maintenance. Yeah, I knew two two maintenance guys at Kennedy that were involved, and they lost their licenses over it. They were mechanics that I used to work with, and they became supervisors, but they were forced to sign logbooks and stuff, and uh, they held the job over their heads. If you don't sign it, we'll fire you. Mm-hmm. That's what they did, so that's what happened on it. But what you were talking well, about was a, before yeah, was all of those those items that are on the front page, the thick page of the logbook with the CIs, as they call them. They were mm-hmm. controlled items. Right. And right. and sometimes they would have so many controlled items that you, you had the uh, a logbook would fill up, and they didn't finish the, the controlled items, so they would tear that the top page off and staple it to the new logbook until you had about four or five pages of them in there. Mm. And some of the pilots that were flying these things were just at wit's end with it. And they just, uh, you know, because mm. I had I had left at that time. I wasn't around, but I, I you heard were stories yeah. from, uh, well, they lied from everybody. The college, yeah. they, they lied to con- the college Bomar, and he died a few months ago. They yeah. lied to college to get it to Atlanta. They lied to me to get it to Providence. And then I don't know what they lied to the captain that took it out of Providence or wherever it went. But they had no intention of fixing that airplane. That was that was what we were dealing with. I mean, God Almighty, between, you know, back in the mid-'80s and early-'80s and '70s, you know, you talked to Max and Mike, uh, you felt like you were dealing with people that were going to do what they said they were going to do. Yeah, and it was yeah. a, we had a hell of a good relationship with Maintenance. But by the Lorenzo and his bunch of criminals just destroyed it, destroyed it. Yep. Well, uh, Jim and uh, Mike and uh, our hosts and listeners, George Jen, one of our hosts, was unable to be with us tonight and wanted to add his findings, which are outlined in his book. A lot of us uh, have enjoyed his book final destination disaster what really happened to eastern airlines wonderful writing and uh, uh, recommend everyone have that uh, on their in their library of eastern books but george says that eastern also loaned texas air 200 million dollars at a very low interest rate Eastern then turned around and borrowed $220 million at a much higher interest rate. Wow. Here's some more that George mentions. Texas Air put up a total of $256 million for the Eastern buyout. Incredibly, Eastern was financing the remainder of its own purchase with borrowed money. This cost amounted to $339 million. 
and was to be added to the airline's existing debt. And according to Borman, was supposedly dragging the airline down. But oddly, neither the Eastern Board nor the various government agencies that subsequently rubber-stamped the deal objected to this, and not one, not one of the principals were ever forced to explain to anyone how a buyout that added $339 million to the airline's debt load would resolve any of Eastern's purported problems. And finally, George says, Lorenzo and Texas Air were also granted a signing bonus of $34 million to purchase Eastern. And of that amount, there was the $20 million gift to Texas Air in the form of an irrevocable $20 million inducement fee that they would get together or get whether or not they went through with the buyout. Wow. Not bad for Amazing, an airline yeah. that, according to Borman, was broke. There were many other questionable, shady items, which are all in my book. So, again, recommend, <clears throat> recommend you purchase Final Destination Disaster. Great book about what really happened with Eastern Airlines. Um, well, well, you te- know, Texas Neil. Air. Yeah, go ahead, Neil, Jim Holder. Yeah, listen, I, I was the chairman. I was there that night when the airline was stolen. Uh, and like I said, George was, uh, he was the first officer elect. He was going to take office in about three or four days. And I'm here to tell you, we had been told by Borman, we being LPA, that if, if East, if Lorenzo got Eastern, and I've said this before on the radio show, and I'm going to say it again, that LPA said that Eastern, or Borman said that if, Lorenzo got Eastern, he would not go back to his desk and even clean it out. He was gone. And I guarantee you, when that all happened about three days later, USA Today, I still got that newspaper someplace. On the front page, it says two Franks with Borman and Lorenzo with arms around each other talking about what had happened a couple of nights before when Lorenzo got Eastern Airlines. And Frank Mm -hmm. Borman ended up Want to check it out? Google Frank Borman. He ended up being the executive something or another on the Texas Air uh, Board of Directors, executive vice president, I think something like yeah. that. Not only yeah. he did not go back to Eastern, he went to Lorenzo, in Texas Air. Burns me mm. up to even think about it. Sounded like it was all planned. Yeah. Well, yeah, we saw uh, a lot of Frank Borman. You know, the last three or four days, you guys might have been watching about the moon landing on the moon. You saw a lot of Frank Borman. I looked at it and I thought about it and I saw it. And I, you know, he got air sick and all that going to the moon. And so he was. I, I got to admit, I met him. I met him two or three times, and I believed in it. And uh, he rode from uh, Atlanta to Phoenix one day and spent almost the whole time in the cockpit talking to me and the first and second officers. I felt like he was a good, honest man, and I trusted him and believed in him. But I'll be damned if I do it now. I don't now, you know. Well, it, they, the the Platters in the fifties wrote a song about him. It was called "The Great Pretender." 
<laughs> yeah. Well, if that's the case, he, he, he pulled he pulled, a, pulled it over my eyes. I can't have, I don't know. I I just sometimes wonder what in the world. I mean, maybe he couldn't stop this thing. Maybe it was just a disaster going all the way. But for him to turn around and and that night and go with Texas Air and go on in the management position with him, it's just beyond me. Why he would do something like that? Took care of himself. Money. It was all the money. About, it's like yeah. Like, it's, like a, it's like taking an extension end, cord. It's like taking an extension cord and plugging it into itself. Forming <laughs> payoff, thirteen million dollars. Yeah. You know that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, you know what he did with it? He went out. He went out. And bought two car dealerships. Yeah, yeah and a couple of airplanes. Yeah, and a couple of airplanes. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't he get a well, F eighty six or something? P fifty one. A Bel Air Cobra and a P fifty one. Yeah. Okay. I'll tell well, you. It reminds me of a uh, of an extension cord that you plug into itself to get power. <laughs> We're going to learn much more. Where's the next the, series. Where's the plug? Next Monday. <laughs> next Monday. Yeah, I don't. And, uh, we'll I don't know if I can. Our... I don't know if I can. I don't know if I can go through this again. Neil, <laughs> no. Well, it's... it gets my get, blood pressure get... out somewhere around the moon, you know. A little more Maker's Mark will take care of it. Hey, there you go. There you go. <laughs> Dorothy, what's going on? Dorothy, what's oh, happening? Okay, uh, just want to mention. You guys uh, got to hear what Dorothy's got to say. Yes, please. I'm listening. Uh, another me- another member, Russ Martin, has donated uh, another fifty dollars. He's from Palm Harbor. He's been in our membership since October 26, 2014, and we want to extend our thanks to Russ for his sponsorship, and, of course, we appreciate all those who have sponsored us. Uh, Russ began his career with Eastern as an apprentice mechanic in February 1967. After graduating, he worked in various departments in Miami, and the last was the L-1011 in May 1977, he was transferred to the Atlanta Heavy Maintenance Hangar Operation. He worked there uh, May 1980 and transferred to Atlanta Line Maintenance until the strike began. He also worked for Lockheed Aeromed in South Carolina for a time, and uh, then he went and he was transferred and lived in Venice. And after several things, he went to be a FedEx uh, freighter. So in September 2010, the program in Italy was completed, and so he was uh, off to take a B-757 passenger to the freighter conversion program in Singapore. And he lived in Singapore for over four years. And finally, of course, at the age of 70, he retired in Palm Harbor. But we had another member, John Paul, who also joined us July 22, 2011. He lives in Sefner, Florida, and he, too, contributed $40 this week. So with all of these helping the radio show stay on the air, we do appreciate everyone that has become our member. And, of course, we, we love Reap also for being our sponsorship for 
many years, and that we appreciate totally. Uh, we do want to mention that Neil's book, Wings of Many, is now, uh, along with the beautiful Eastern Bowen 737-800 aircraft model that they give away. And, of course, they make great gifts. Now, that's with a $40 donation, and you'll receive both. However, I do want to mention that there are not a lot left, so please, if you would like one, get your donation, and now a $40, and Neil will be happy to send it to you. I About 12 left, Dorothy. There you go, 12 left. I also want to mention that this was donated to uh, me uh, to give to the Eastern people as a donation uh, was given to the radio, and that was by an anonymous donor uh, for the uh, former Eastern Airlines group. And as I said, contributions can be made through our homepage at www.eaoradioshow.com. Now, I'd like to mention also that we had countries listening to our program last week, Australia, New Zealand, Thailand, China, Japan, Mongolia, India, Pakistan, Turkmenistan, Iraq, Turkey, Italy, Spain, France, Finland, Germany, United Kingdom, Sweden, Norway, Argentina, Colombia, Ecuador, Canada, and, of course, Alaska and Hawaii. So we are so thankful for all our listeners out there and do appreciate it. And, again, remember, we have a website that is out there for you. For whatever need you have, it's on there. And if you have any uh, programs that you'd like us to discuss, so please send us a, an email at uh, host at ealradioshow.com. Remember, too, that REPA has their reunion September 4th to the 6th, Wednesday to a Friday in 2019 at the Embassy Suites Hotel in Kennesaw, Georgia. So there's a, a lot of information on the REPA website at repaonline.com slash reunion. Jim Hody, you still have your magazines there to give away? Yes, and oh boy, I've got. Uh, somebody, please! I got to get rid of these Louis Parte magazines. Give me a call; okay. I'll send them to you free. All right, just let me know at heast at eal host at eal dot com, and I'll be sure to send your email address. And don't forget to put your address on it so Jim can get it out to you. Now let me there you go. a review of uh, our next programs coming up. And of course, next week we're going to follow through with part two. And if that's not completed totally, we will have a part three the following week. And then uh, in August, we'll start off with Flying with Arthur Godfrey and followed by famous people who have died in ear disasters and causes. So please stay tuned to our Monday night evening show. We have a lot to, to give to you, to tell you, and so we'd love to have you. Back to you, Neil.
Landing, Captain. Be sure to tune in next Monday, July 2015th, when America's favorite way to fly returns to the cyberways. The radio show continues with part two, the last heartbeat of an American legacy airline, the final days of Eastern Airlines. With this, we sign off by playing the sign-off music made popular by the champagne music man himself, Lawrence Welk. And a one, and a two, and a three. Good night, Eastern family and friends from around the world. And good night, Eastern Airlines, wherever you are. We love you, Eastern. We love, we you, love Eastern. you, Eastern. Good night, good night Eastern. Thank you good so night, much. Good show, guys. Thanks so much. Good night, all.